The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus said to his disciples, This is my commandment. Love one another as I love you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if, I do, if you do what I command you. I no longer call you slaves, because a slave does not know what his master is doing. I have called you friends, because I have told you everything I have heard from my father. It was not you who chose me, but I who chose you, and appointed you to go and bear fruit that will remain, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. The Gospel of the Lord. I'm Father Samuel Schneider. I'm the associate pastor here at St. Joseph's and grateful uh, to be here with Michael and Shelby. One of the things that kind of surprised me about them is uh, that they're both engineers, right? I can, I can see maybe one, but that they're both engineers, that, that they get along. And that made me think a little bit about, well, what, what, how does an engineer see the world? Now, I'm not an engineer. I was a math major for a little while. And I was a philosopher. So I think there are some overlaps. But one of the ways that I've heard that engineers uh, see the world is they see everything as a problem. I don't know whether that's true for Michael and Shelby, but everything is a problem, right? A problem to be fixed. And how do you, uh, how do you fix those problems? Well, you, you do it by learning from uh, design breaks or from studying successes, right? And so as I'm sure that they don't only look at, uh, at you know, things in their life that are things that are broken to be fixed, but they also look at life in general, right? And we all do, even if we don't look at it from an engineering perspective, we all look at the world and say, well, what is the purpose, right? We might not necessarily, uh, you know, necessarily uh, give that, that clear of a, of a direction of our thought, but that is a thought that comes up on occasion, right? Why am I here? What am I made for? What, what does my future look like? What's the purpose and meaning of this all? And for Michael and Shelby, thankfully, they have you know, had some ways to answer that, some way to study and kind of look into it. They've both been raised Catholic, had a certain perspective of the world to be able to look at. But what does that perspective kind of say? Well, there's lots of different ways that we speak about uh, God, right? God gives us meaning and purpose, but in, in what way? Well, we can look at the different religions and say that they're all kind of ascending the mountain in the same way, right? From different directions, different areas, but ultimately they all get to God. Now, I, I don't completely su- subscribe by that, but that, that's what maybe some people think. I think Christianity radically transforms that, that idea. Radically transform it because as Christianity, as Michael and Shelby grew up, they had a God who was not somebody who was sitting up on a mountaintop who said, hey, I hope you can get here someday, but actually a God who radically said, I want to be with you and I'm going to actually descend the mountain to you. And ultimately, when we look at what God has in mind 
for this life that in a lot of ways is broken and and doesn't quite make sense, God says, ultimately, I want you to be with me. In what ways do we kind of say that? Well, what kind of ways are broken in the meaning of life that we don't always live with him? And so Michael and Shelby, I'm sure at different times, kind of said, well, what does it mean to be with God, right? We kind of say to pray and those other things, or maybe become a priest or a nun. I don't know whether they specifically discern that to a a large degree, but obviously they didn't decide that, right? So that means that they're not to be with God, right? Well, wrong. As Christians, actually, we would say that a priest, you know, or, or a nun or a sister or someone who chooses that radical way of life, uh, such as myself, is one way of being with God. But Jesus came and he actually gave us another way. That marriage was always an institution, but that he, specifically at the wedding feast of Cana, instituted the sacrament of marriage. That the sacrament of marriage might not be just something that lives out our days here on earth, but actually might be an institution of marriage that actually gives purpose and meaning to life, not just in a cultural way of getting through, but actually as a means of being with God. Now, how does, how does that make sense? Isn't getting married separating you from God in some way, right? Because you've got to take care of each other, whereas that's partly the reason why a priest isn't married. And it should, in some ways, remind people of that radicalness of Jesus' call, that Jesus is supposed to be number one. So how, in being married, are you actually getting closer to God? Well, we can say that in that that you are learning from the second reading of what love is, right? That ultimately within marriage is a sacrament of learning of love. In what way? In a a crucible type way. In a crucible type way because it's easy to love people that are distant. It's hard to learn true love where it speaks about in the second reading where it is patient, right? It doesn't just deal with it on occasion, but it's, it's patient. It's kind, even though it might, you might be angry, right? Love learns to be kind, even in those moments of frustration. It's not jealous. It's not pompous. It's not seeking its own interests, right? It's so easy to seek our own interests when it's just ourselves to worry about. But in marriage, in that institution... It breaks down that selfishness. And it sometimes reveals very quickly how selfish we can be. It's not quick-tempered, does not rejoice over wrongdoing. And I love this last part. It bears all things, right? It doesn't just put up with some things, some of the quirks or, or the different problems that you might have, but it bears all things. It doesn't see the other person as something to be fixed, or a problem, but instead to be loved, to bear, and believes all things, hopes all things, and, just like bearing, endures all things out of love. So that, Michael and Shelby, through this sacrament of marriage, you might learn to love in a greater way. And in that, our God, who is love, you become closer to him. 
Now within that, you have certain examples. And just like in engineering, when you're trying to fix that problem, you're, you're studying those cases that are maybe broken and those cases that are good. We want to look at also situations of marriage as well, different relationships. The primary one being Adam and Eve, right? How did Adam and Eve do? Well, they sort of stuck together, but we look at it at the beginning that the man, Adam, wasn't looking out for his wife. Michael, look out for Shelby, right? Look out for her safety, her protection, even though it might be inconvenient for you. And Shelby, you have many examples, not only in Eve, who even though that, you know, right, she messed up in that one, it was really Adam's fault in a lot of ways, right? So it was kind of all that. But you have many examples of holy women throughout Scripture who, just like the first reading, is this virtuous wife who abundantly blesses the husband, not by just being uh, submissive and just saying whatever Michael wants, right? We don't want to exactly inflate his ego or his selfishness, right? That's not your role as a virtuous wife. Your role as a virtuous wife is to continue to have him grow in love, right? In all things. And you also should look at Mary and Joseph, right? How did Mary and Joseph live out their marriage? And you can constantly, especially in the midst of difficulties, pray with Mary, um, who had Joseph, who was the one sinner in the household, and kind of deal with that, right? How did she deal with that? Um, and also with Joseph, you know, dealing with, dealing with that household. And we see also, ultimately, marriage is a particular type of love, this love that we choose in the midst of it. But we can also look at Jesus, who gives us the greatest depths of love. And how does he say us? Well, he gives us this commandment so that we might be with him, right? That's ultimately what God wants us to be, is he wants us to be with him. And he says, love one another as I love you. And so ultimately, the best example that you two have of marriage is the marriage that Christ married to his church. That he marries to each one of us in his faithfulness, in enduring and bearing with us in all things, in being patient and kind and not self-interest. And we see that in the greatest uh, extent, the fullest fulfillment in him laying down his life for you. That every single time that we look at a cross, we don't look at a failure, we don't look at just suffering. We look at suffering love. We look at the greatest love that we have. And I always say that, you know, sometimes uh, we see that and we look at that amazing just one, you know, one time that Jesus gave his love, right? That was the fulfillment of his love, the greatest love that he went. And sometimes we can imagine that as well. Well, love is just that one act that defines it all. Well, not really. Love is defined by bearing and enduring. And even though, Michael, I I hope and I I assume that you would take a bullet for Shelby, right? Right? Uh, But the harder bullet that you'll take, or the hardest, harder love and endurance that you'll take, is actually 10,000 little paper cuts, right? Over the course of time, right? That wears down. And in one moment, we can have adrenaline to be able to help and, and to be able to pour ourselves out in love. 
right? But love in the virtue of love is not tested in one moment. It's grown over time. And that we know that we we pray that your love is boundless right now, right? This great love that you have for each other. But we pray and hope that this isn't the depths of your love. That actually your love would grow stronger each day. That you would learn how to love, how to receive Jesus' love in a greater way. And also to love each other in a greater way. And that's what we pray for here. And that's why we come to this altar and this sacrament to ask for Jesus' help in that. Because by yourselves, guess what? You're not going to make it. You both are wonderful people. But you need other help, right? And the primary person is Jesus Christ and His grace that He gives in this sacrament. But the other help that you also have is everyone here as well, right? So this is all of you who came here are here because you love Michael and Shelby. Or you know somebody who loves, you know, Michael and Shelby. You know, you're just here kind of with somebody else. But either way, you have a role in this because Michael and Shelby will have difficult times at at different times, right? Hopefully not, right? There are some marriages that are blessed in a particular way. But most likely you will have difficult times. And those are the times to go to Jesus, but also to go to your friends and family. And your friends and family are there to also love you. Not to just say, oh, whatever you want to do, Michael, you can just do it. Whatever makes you happy. No, you've made a commitment to love Shelby. And you want that love to be grown and so that you might fulfill that purpose and meaning that you have in this life to be able to truly love in the depths of being with God. One of the phrases that I loved, uh, a priest in seminary taught it to us in kind of um, talking about vocations and a calling from God and that it should be a call of love, that all vocations help us to grow in love. But one of the things that he said is this little phrase, he said, true love wants to make and keep promises. True love wants to make and keep promises. And initially, when I first heard that, I just thought, well, that doesn't really make sense. You know, I see a lot of love that necessarily. But then as I started to think about it, and you think about, you know, certainly there's more than just romantic love, right? And so you think about when you have a a best friend who you love, right? You care about. And as little kids, you don't say, I want to be your best friend for the next week. Right? I want to be your best friend through high school. No, you say, I want to be best friends forever, right? That love wants to make and keep promises. It wants that love to be inseparable, that I might be with this person forever, right? And so, in that, best friends might at times uh, choose to make certain packs, right? Blood packs or, you know, different strange things of like, oh yeah, we're going to... We're going to spit and shake on it, right? You know, type of a thing. Uh, and that might break. That might not completely work, right? Because they do it in secret. But, uh, or different things, and it's difficult. And it, you know, love and those relationships continue to struggle at different times. But you yourself here are making, you have that love that wants to make and keep promises. You two don't want to just be together 
for the next few months or years. You love each other, that you want to be able to fully give yourself to each other and not to be able to say, well, once this person finds out this part of my life or sees the way that I don't, uh, put my, don't cap up my toothpaste, that they're not going to like me, right? Oh, they're stuck with me now, right? They got that promises and actually that allows you to be more free and open and growing in love because now it's okay to help each other grow, right? To criticize, to help build up, to point out and to, and to continue to call on each other in what you're made for, in that love. And so if you are ready to make that promise before God, before his church and his ministers and before all your friends and family here, I invite you, Michael and Shelby, to come up with the bridal party.